I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You, my friend, have tuned in to a very special bonus rebroadcast episode of the show featuring my recent appearance as a guest on the Wise Traditions podcast. In this conversation, we talk about how most human dysfunction is directly related to our disconnection from nature and from each other. If you want to learn how to regain your spiritual and physical harmony, give this one a listen. This Tuesday, we'll be back with our regular programming for episode 330, Everything is Love, Even the Things You Hate, Finding Peace Beyond Bypass with Preston Smiles. And with that, my friends, enjoy the show. Welcome to Wise Traditions, Luke. Thank you so much, man. Good to see you again, Hilda. Good to see you. And I'm so excited to talk to you because we are just in a world of stress and angst and anger. And I'm more and more convinced that we can't meet it on that level, that we need to kind of change things around by responding to our circumstances and being proactive in love. What do you think of that? I think that uh, if we want to affect change on the level of form and matter, that that change must take place in the realm of consciousness first, because consciousness is the place from which all matter manifests. So to affect matter with matter is a much slower way to go about affecting change, whereas affecting one's own consciousness and transforming one's own consciousness to a higher and higher level of vibration or more accurately stated oscillation is a way to change in the outer world. And this has been my journey for over two decades now after having circumstances in my life that had manifested in the material physical realm that I could not uh, overcome uh, using force. And so this is about, um, in this time for me, accessing true power and power has the ability to change things that force cannot. Talk to us about those things that were the problems that you couldn't overcome with force. What were you referring to a moment ago? Well, it culminated for me as <laughs> an acute, I guess you could say an acute case of drug and alcohol uh, addiction, which started when I was a young kid and went into my um, adolescent, teen, and then early 20s years. And um, underneath that, because that's really a symptom of an underlying issue, uh, underneath that were uh, unresolved emotional and physical trauma and abuse that I had um, suffered as a kid. And uh, that had then manifested into and mental illness could be heavy handed for those that have been afflicted with quantifiable uh, mental illnesses such as bipolar, schizophrenia, etc. Uh, but I would say, generally speaking, all of humankind suffers from mental illness at this point in our evolution. Uh, but, I, but I can say in my own subjective experience, there was a lot of mental illness in the form of just suicidal ideation and chronic depression and underlying anxiety and just emotional and mental unrest. And all of those things culminated in my life 
in a futile attempt to self-medicate as various addictions. And when I tried to overcome all of those problems that were all encompassing and completely took over my life, I found uh, all of my efforts to be ineffective when it came to just forcing myself to change. Uh, And year after year, especially in those last couple of years of my 20s, I just every day I woke up, today's going to be different. I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change. I'm not going to be this way anymore. And, uh, And I just couldn't. And it wasn't until I really went inside and started doing some deep shadow work and really facing those things that were so painful to look at uh, that ultimately led me into a spiritual path and a way of life that I've been living now for a very long time, that I was able to access the greater power that is accessible to all of us when we kind of get out of the way. And so when I say that using force to solve the world's problems is ineffective, it's um, equally, if not more ineffective in trying to change your own problems. And so it's in this sort of cooperation with that universal power that some call God or a higher power, source, universe, uh, whatever pervades our experience here. The thing I always say that, you know, it turns an acorn into an oak tree, that it's that thing that's ineffable. It can't be explained. It can't be really described. It has to be experienced. And when I began to experience that and avail myself to higher levels of consciousness and really had a surrender experience than those problems that were unsurmountable in and of myself using my own will and my own limited resources, those problems just actually began to vanish one by one in in a very short period of time. Uh, That's the formula that I still use now, including the formula that I use to overcome the challenges that we face uh, collectively at this moment. Okay, so just to review, I hear you saying that We can't very well change things outside of ourselves if we can't even change them within ourselves. So we need to collaborate with that source, that energy, God surrendering so that we can be transformed and be changed first ourselves and then hopefully change the things around us. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's the radiation of our consciousness. You know, we transmit the level of consciousness that we've been able to cultivate and arrive at. And um, I think every human being has the potential for truly angelic, high states of expression and felt experience. But we're also encumbered by the ego and encumbered by the instincts of the animal body that we all occupy. And we're sort of living in this world of duality where we have these lower drives uh, to punish others and to see others as separate and uh, to um, incriminate others and categorize others. And this self-identification keeps us separated from who we really are and who other people really are. So to me, it's about identifying the nature of our true identity a spirit that's embodied. And as we can start to build a relationship with ourselves on that deep, more universally valid and true level, it enables us to raise our vibration and raise our level of consciousness so that everything we touch in our lives tends to radiate at that same level. So it's, it's an example you could use is like, the day where you wake up and you're just pissed off at the world. And this happens to me sometimes still, you get stressed and it's just like, wake up and I'm just like, 
I'm just pissed at everything. And this happened, you know, thankfully to me much less often, but I still get a taste of it. And I go, oh yeah, I remember when I used to live like this every day, but just, you know, it's that day where you wake up really irritable and maybe you didn't sleep while you're just, you know, you're overwhelmed by stress in your life or um, your problems are kind of all you can think about in that moment. Mm -hmm. And then you set about your day, you're doing errands, you're out in the world interacting with people. And you'll notice that everyone you run into is a complete jerk. And you start to think that that's the way the world is. But really what it is, is it's a projection of energy and that I'm actually um, not manifesting, but I'm in tune or you could say harmonizing with that frequency of energy in the world. So it's not really that the world needs to change. It's that the energy that I bring to the world needs to change in my own consciousness and take that same day in a parallel universe where you wake up feeling full of joy, peace, fulfillment, purpose, and you go out in that same world and every cashier you run into and everyone you run into at the gas station and everything you do is filled with cooperation and ease and flow. And it's not that the world has changed. It's just that the world that I'm creating through how I perceive the world and the energy I bring to the world has in fact changed it. And so it's like, as within, so without, I think is a, a way to be phrased um, in biblical terms. And I, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar by any means or even a bona fide Christian per se, but I do like to draw universal truths from all of these various traditions. And some of them really stick. And that's one that I've always loved is that the change we want to see in our outer experience, whether that's our immediate family, our community, our city, our state, our country, the world, et cetera, that change has to begin within because if we're not able to face and heal our own shadow sides, those things that are uncomfortable that we don't want to look at and face in order to heal, we're likely to spend much of our time projecting our wounds and our trauma and our hangups onto other people in the world and blame them for the very things that we're guilty of that we're trying to avoid healing. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever heard that um, phrase, like when I point the finger at you, there are three fingers pointing yeah. back at me. <laughs> so I get exactly what you're saying. And I'm actually yeah. tracking with you because I've been vibing high a lot of days and feeling like I'm just going to bring love and light and warmth to the world. But then actually, sometimes even when I'm at that level of consciousness, if you will, I run into situations or people <laughs> that make me feel like, oh no, I'm kind of dragged down again. And and I feel combative. And maybe that's what you're saying. There's a part of us that where there's still that duality going on. There's a part of us that kind of reduces down to that primal, you know, state. But I I want to vibe high. And for people who are listening who are like, I don't even know what they're talking about, let's get very specific. What do you do, Luke's story? When you go out, you are actually you started your day with meditation, you're feeling really good, and suddenly you see a sign or a person that you completely disagree with. And they start arguing with you, like, how do you manage that internal desire to kind of fight instead of love, let's say? Well, I think it's by the same means. It's in building a practice where I don't fight within myself. And that's where all battles begin is within oneself, where we're at war with our own thoughts and at war with our own feelings. And so approaching my day in the beginning, and it's really important for me, and I'm not always perfect at this, but you indicated meditation. And mm -hmm. I start every day with some form of meditation. And uh, on a good day, if I'm at home, I get to take an ice bath uh, at the end of this whole morning routine, which my morning routine would take us three hours to explain because it takes <laughs> three hours to do. I just got done with it here. It's like noon already. 
one. No, it's one. I got done at noon with my whole thing. Today was a slow day, but it's in, I don't, it's tricky. It's like when somebody, I think, hears the word surrender. So I'm walking through the world from a position of surrender. One would hear passivity. One would hear that you're not being proactive, that you're not contributing, that you're lazy, that you're just allowing people to walk on you, that you're a doormat, that you don't stand up for yourself or stand up for others. Um, But for me, surrender is really the beginning of asserting one's own power. And that surrender begins in stopping the arguing within my own mind with myself. So as I wake up and I get a frustrating or what I perceive to be a frustrating email or I'm experiencing overwhelm or the world's just happening too fast or I go on Twitter and I see all those people that I hate that, that, and they're wrong and I'm right. It's like where that really starts is in my own mind and is quitting the argument within myself. And so as I'm able to find that forgiveness and compassion for myself and that Oh, there I go. My humanity is showing again. And I'm sticking to those very addictive, negative thoughts about myself and my life and the way that I'm perceiving my experience. As I go and interact with others, that built-in level of acceptance and compassion for their humanity is inherent to that interaction because I've already cultivated that within myself. I've woken up going, you know, (laughs) Luke, you, you know, you look at this thing you screwed up yesterday. And I look at myself and I go, yeah, I totally didn't meet that deadline. Okay. Acknowledged, forgiven. And it all starts kind of within my own awareness of my own humanity and and frailty and fallibility. And as I interact with people in the world and I observe people on social media that aren't doing things in a way that I believe they should be doing them, there's an inherent forgiveness there that all human folly is just part of the experience and that each and every person, no matter how depraved or evil they might appear to be, are always doing the very best they can. And they're doing things according to what they believe to be the best decision in any given time, just as I am. Every time Mm -hmm. I've ever made a mistake in my life, I was doing my very best. And I've had to pay for some of those mistakes. And I believe in justice and consequences and law and order and all of those things. But I think that There's a way to operate in the world where you acknowledge mistakes, you acknowledge that there are disagreements, but you can remove blame Mm. from your experience so that I don't have to blame myself for my transgressions or mistakes because I make them constantly and I don't have to blame others. And that doesn't mean that I condone the behavior of others that I don't agree with. I'm able to maintain my own integrity. And I might reject people's ideas or behavior or might reject someone from my life entirely, but I can do so without a sense of blame and condemnation. When I accept that there are things in my way of thinking or behavior that I don't feel good about, there's a difference between what I could say is like a decent sense of regret and a shameful feeling about who I am. So like I can give you a very real, just authentic example. So years ago, I quit smoking cigarettes and I did pretty well for a while. And then someone gave me a cigar, a Cuban cigar. And I thought, ah, I could get away with that as long as it's not a cigarette. I smoked that one cigar and I got immediately addicted to cigars. And there was like (sighs) another four years of like being addicted to cigars until I finally quit that. And then I just realized I have to go cold turkey on all nicotine. Okay. This is like nine years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. A couple months ago, I was in Costa Rica in a ceremony and, uh, and they were, you know, part of the ceremony included this smoking of the sacred tobacco. And I did that for a few nights. 
and I was okay. So I thought, I guess as long as I'm using tobacco intentionally, it's not addictive. I came back home, went to a party. Someone gave me a cigar. I smoked the cigar. Next day, everything was fine. I thought, well, I guess I can occasionally smoke cigars now. A couple of weeks later, I'm at the cigar store and I'm there every day. And now I'm smoking cigars much more than I would like to. According to my budget and my physical health, here I am, this supposed health expert and biohacker, and I've found myself addicted to nicotine again. And I, and I feel like crap about it. I really, mm. I will, if I don't have the awareness, I'll kick myself and be like, you're supposed to be this health, this inspiring person that helps people with their health. And you know, you've overcome all these other addictions and challenges, like what a loser you are. And it's not about like denial of the reality that I've habituated something into my life right now that I would rather not be there. It's about really squarely facing that, being very honest with myself and observing that and being aware of that from a place of responsibility where I take responsibility. No one made me pick up that cigar. No one's making me run to the cigar store every couple of days and spend a hundred dollars. You know, it's totally ridiculous and just dumb, especially right now. <laughs> so I don't blame anyone else, but I also don't blame myself. There's, there's an inherent compassion to that. And in that compassion, it allows me to be free of that sense of guilt and shame about who I am. It's just a reminder that, well, you're human and you have these nicotine receptors in your brain. Like mm -hmm. everyone knows, we have cannabinoid receptors, we have opiate receptors, we have, I forget what the nicotine one's called, but we're wired through evolution to just, some of us more than others, to find these particular molecules very sticky and habit forming. And I'm one of those people that has that. And uh, what a wonderful thing to be aware of. And now I can kind of acknowledge, all right, this is becoming a bit of a problem. This is something I would rather not have in my life in the capacity that it is now in the way that I'm doing it. And from that place of, of self-awareness and self-honesty, now I can move toward a solution. And so when I observe others and different habits of thought and behavior that they have that I judge and condemn and shame them for, I can see, wow, maybe just like me, they're human too. And they can't help from being a social media troll or, you know, whatever their pathology happens to play out as rather than judging that I can have compassion for it, but also in some cases also reject it and not choose to participate in whatever their behavior is. So again, like circling back, to me, the work really begins within. And I think that's oftentimes the well-meaning folly of people that are involved in social activism. They're doing it from a place because they care and they love, but it's also easy to fall into the trap of projecting onto others what you believe their behavior should be without really looking at your own. You know, look at Twitter is like the cesspool of all social media when it comes to this stuff, but it's, it's addictive and it's irresistible. And it's also the way that I sometimes <laughs> be informed about what's going on with the world. But I just think like, God, if everyone on Twitter would just heal their relationships with their ancestors, with their lineage, with their immediate family, mm. you know, forgive the person that abused you when you were a kid, you know, forgive your brother-in-law that you have a resentment toward, forgive your parents and knowing they did their best. It's like, all the change we want to see out in the world really begins within and with the own microcosm of our thoughts and feelings and our interpersonal relationships. And I think if many of us took responsibility for our own lives, we would find that we would be able to be more effective in the outer world. And in fact, if more people were doing that at large, we would have less 
problems fundamentally in terms of our society and our culture as one human race. It's really the projection of unhealed trauma that causes all of the strife and separation between people in my observation. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's very accurate. And the other thing that comes to my mind is the problem with social media is we're not interacting face to face. People say things on these platforms that they would never say if they were right in front of you, because there's a sense of anonymity and you're right, they can act out their old patterns, you know, and people are going to be like, you're so right. And a million likes or whatever, you know, and it's just a back and forth that gets us nowhere. I, I wish there were more positive encounters. So what I've tried to start doing, and it's, it's not actually having a good effect, but I, I thought now and then I'll just toss in a little thought that is different than others just to show that people can think differently. And I always get jumped on. And then that's when some of the bad stuff, you know, happens for me or I feel provoked. And so I own that, but I know there's some growing I have to do, but I also try to breathe and practice compassion. And so that's why I wanted to ask you next, actually, Luke. So talk to me about you have your morning routine and I do want to hear about what some of those things are that you do to kind of set you on the right course in addition to meditation. But then in the moment, what are things that you would do in the moment to practice compassion toward another? Well, I think for me, it uh, is about practicing present moment awareness and really living life from the perspective of observing the phenomena, not only within my own thoughts and feelings first, but then the phenomena of my opinion about what's happening in the world and what's happening in an interaction or my judgment about someone else. So it's like an analogy perhaps could be, it's probably not a good one because it has a, an implication of, of violence, but sometimes you have to be very disciplined with thought. And so I think of it as I'm kind of a sniper, you know, that's sitting on a hill observing my consciousness for thoughts that are harmful to me or other people, just negative mm-hmm. thoughts and negative energy. And so as I watch those thoughts, just as I go through my life, and it could be, you know, I just wake up and I walk through my living room and I go, God, I hate that chair. Or why is not someone fixed that thing? And it's just, it's a negative thought that's not mm-hmm. constructive. Starting with, you know, a lot of years of meditation and just building that practice of really staying embodied, staying grounded, staying you know, literally when I say embodied, like being present of my body, my feelings, where my hands are sitting, living life as a meditation, living life as a prayer, rather than having meditation and prayer as some set aside practice that I do to get ready to go live my life. Mm -hmm. How can I actually take that position and that level of awareness into my waking state and my interactions? And so again, starting with my own thoughts, my own feelings, monitoring that, policing them, Uh, for lack of a better term, but really self-regulating and being aware then in in interactions with other people, I see the same thing. It's like, I'll notice, you know, I have such a beautiful relationship with my, with my girlfriend. And it's like, it's like no romantic relationship I've ever had because she's someone who lives, she has her own path and her own practices, but the purpose of each of our lives is ascension and having a continued spiritual awakening. And so she's done a lot of work on herself and faced all of her past and her shadow. And I'm doing that and have done that myself. So for example, let's say I'm in in the home here and um, she does something that annoys me. We don't get in fights because each of us see the thought usually. I mean, no one's perfect. Of course, sometimes stuff slips by, you know, and I'm sure we will have a fight someday and it'll be fine. But it's like, 
I'll see the thought that's like, why did she do that? That's annoying. I'll see the thought within my own consciousness, using my awareness and being present before it even has the opportunity to manifest into saying something mean and unnecessary to her that's going to cause conflict or cause something very minute in our relationship to escalate to a problem. And so again, it's like going back within and facing my own you know, addiction to negative emotions and negative thoughts and addressing those and taking responsibility for those first so that when it comes to the point of an interaction with someone else, I can see myself being triggered by something they've said or done and take responsibility for that and own my stuff and deal with it on my end before it even has to be brought up to them. And in most cases, and then this is the case with my, with my lovely girlfriend, Allison, in most cases, before I even say the thing that I think I want to say, I realized it was just my own trip. Uh, there, was no, there was no mistake made on the part of the other and therefore the, no forgiveness is even needed because they're just being human and they're just doing the very best they can. And it's likely that whatever I was triggered by or bothered by is due to my perception of what they said or did more so than in reality and actuality what they said and did. In other words, it's the stories that my mind creates about my life and the people in my life that cause me pain, not those people and what they do. It's all a game of perception. And it starts with that inner awareness of having that still calm place that I do my best to stay tethered to throughout my day. And I, you know, and I blow this constantly, but over time I get better and better at it where, as I said, the spiritual practices and building that self-awareness are no longer relegated as like, oh, that's when I'm doing my spiritual stuff. It's like, no, all of life is the spiritual stuff. That's all it is. That's the whole (laughs) point of the whole thing. (laughs) So true. And what you're saying really resonates with me, my own experience, my understanding that As much as I want to fix other people, what really needs to be aligned, I would say, is something within me. You know, I'm responsible for myself. And yes, my thoughts and my actions and they're emanating from my heart. And so doing some deep work, I think is really important. But I want to pivot for a second now and talk about external forces that have nothing to do with people necessarily. And what I'm talking about, Luke, is non-native electromagnetic frequencies. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I want to talk about it is this. I don't think people realize that uh, this energy around us can affect how we feel. So we might just think, oh, I'm just human. That's why I'm irritated with my spouse today or whatever. When in actuality, there is an electric field around us that's not native and it's interfering with how my body actually feels and vibes. What do you think about that? Oh, man, you hit my, uh, (laughs) my passion spot there. Look, it's like this. I'll try to summarize that and get back to the EMF issue. But the way I look at all human pathology, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, can all be traced back to A, our disconnection from the natural world, which has been going on essentially, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, basically through domestication, uh, which happened roughly around the time of the agricultural revolution, right? So when we started to be sedentary, we formed uh, city states. Then there was military that formed out of that, police states. There was ownership of livestock, ownership of women, ownership of land. This is when it got real squirrely. And so we started growing food that normally we wouldn't be able to eat in mass, grains, seeds, et cetera, right? 
It's the whole kind of paleolithic path. But I think what people often miss is, you know, it makes logical sense to look, okay, we veered off from our natural diet, our natural way of life, our natural connection to one another, living as hunter-gatherer people. But it's not only in the food and in a sedentary lifestyle that's made us sick, it's that we've changed the entire magnetic field of the planet. First, through the advent of electricity, which I'm so grateful for. That's how we're communicating now. I love having lights on when it's <laughs> dark in the room, <laughs> you know, and the ability to create night. I mean, to create daytime when it's night using lights and things like that. But at every, at every stage of electrification of the planet, you know, when electricity went inside our homes in the US and now our homes are wired with 60 hertz. And then, of course, with wireless technology, uh, starting out with military radar then into cellular technology, et cetera. Now everything being wireless, all of this quote, end quote, um, smart technology that our homes are wired with, we've deviated so far from the path of our natural way of life. And I think that many people don't realize that we are bioelectric beings. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, you are no stranger to the topic because I've covered it with so many of our past guests. You're probably aware of the dangers of EMF exposure in your home, but you have no idea where to start when it comes to fixing it. You might be concerned about your exposure to the current 3G, 4G, and 5G wireless networks now active in most major cities. You might have even attempted to test the levels in your home yourself with EMF meters you found online and just became frustrated and confused and kind of gave up on the project. Well, same story here. That's why I created the EMF Home Assessment Masterclass with my friend Brian Hoyer. I've been passionate about this topic for many years and I finally took it upon myself to take all of the information that I've gained and create an amazing video course about it. Now, this is going to be released in the coming weeks, so I wanted to give you a heads up on it. You can go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. That's lukestory.com EMF Masterclass and sign up for the wait list. You can also text on a U.S. phone the word EMF Masterclass to the number 44222. So again, you can text EMF Masterclass to 44222 or go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF Masterclass and you will have the opportunity to enter the wait list. And when you do so, you're going to save 100 bucks off the course. Yes, that's right. This is over four hours of content. There's seven modules, six bonus videos. And in this particular course, you're going to learn everything, literally everything you could have ever wanted to know about not only how to find the EMF in your home, but how to fix it. It's pretty awesome. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF masterclass or using a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. And now back to the interview. So, you know, this meat suit that we're using for 80, 100 years, whatever we happen to be lucky enough to live through, 
it's an electric body. And so you're so right that everything in our environment that is non-native, meaning it's an alien frequency or an alien source of energy that has been manipulated by humankind uh, in order to facilitate technological evolution and convenience uh, comes with a price. And so in the realm of biohacking and health, which I'm really into because I like to feel great and vital uh, and I'm, you know, want to be as healthy as I can for as long as I can. I see over the years, it's been, you know, a couple of decades I've been into this stuff that so many people get hung up on what you should be eating and, you know, should you be paleo or carnivore or vegan or vegetarian. And uh, to me, all of that is like, you know, unless you're eating the main offenders, like let's just take seed oils, you know, PUFAs, aspartame, MSG, GMOs, glyphosate, all pesticides. If you're eating organic food of any kind and drinking water that doesn't have fluoride and other chemicals in it, to me, you're good on the food. Okay, so done. <laughs> Whatever, you know, as long as you're not actually eating poison and drinking poison, you're winning. But the thing I think many people don't realize is how deleterious these various forms of radiation in our environment are, not only because they're dangerous in and of themselves, but now they're stacked on one another. And there are so many different types of EMF and our living environments where we work, play, and, you know, make our homes is just inundated with these fields, especially people like myself living in an urban area. I currently live in Los Angeles. I've been trying to escape for 30 years. It's not going very well, but um, <laughs> I now live in a canyon, at least with much lower EMF. But I think when this becomes a reality for people is when you hire a building biologist to come into your home with twenty dollars to $30,000 worth of equipment, and they know how to read it, and they can show you scientifically, unequivocally, in a non-tinfoil hat kind of way, the levels of various radiation inside your living area, uh, it is absolutely shocking. And then when you start to look at some of the, again, scientifically proven and valid side effects of radiation exposure of various types, uh, you can see that not only do many of them lead to various disabilities physically, but also absolutely your mood and how you feel emotionally and the kind of thoughts you have. And so this is, when it comes to the physical realm of health, um, EMFs is the thing I'm absolutely most passionate about and the biggest advocate for. In fact, I just created an online course. It's called the EMF Home Safety Masterclass, which you can find at lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. And I could have done an online class about a million things, but I chose yeah. to do that because... It's the thing that I find that's so difficult to understand and so difficult to fix. And based on the feedback I get from people that listen to my podcast and follow my stuff on social media, it's the awareness is growing, but people still don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to ask you, not to give away everything that's in your masterclass, but tell us at least two things that you do personally in your home to reduce your exposure to non-native electromagnetic frequencies. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to give away everything. I mean, in the, <laughs> in the course, there's like, it's over five hours of content now at this point. It's, it's quite robust. It's only 149 bucks too, for anyone listening. It's, I'm not trying to like get rich off an EMF course. It's not really my, it's not part of my brand um, per se, but I just, I happened to shoot a bunch of footage and was like, this is like, <laughs> this is be very useful to people. So I, I basically yeah. morphed it into a class, but Here's the thing I'd recommend for people is 
to avoid the confusion, there's kind of a, a hierarchy of steps, right? To me, the first step is stop guessing, save up some money, hire a building biologist or an EMS specialist to come into your house and do a complete analysis, a home assessment, as it's called, which is like the bulk of my course is really showing how a, a valid professional assessment is conducted. This way, you know what you're dealing with. You know, a lot of people go spend a lot of money on all these different EMF devices, and some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, you know, there's shielding paint, shielding curtains. There's all kinds of things you can do in your home, especially your bedroom and your kids' room, to make it safe. But in my experience, there's a lot of guesswork that is going to cause you to waste your time, energy, and also just the limbic system stress response of freaking out about EMF before you really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, <laughs> when I lived in the last apartment I lived in, I, I never had an assessment done and I installed a couple of really great EMF uh, products in the home that just kind of harmonize the energetic field, scalar wave devices, etc. And I knew that they were helping. But when I was living there, I got really sick and I couldn't figure out what it was. It was like three years and I'm like this biohacker guy. I mean, I don't know anyone in the world except maybe Dave Asprey or Ben Greenfield that does more stuff than I do for my health. <laughs> I've been into this stuff for a long time and here I am really sick. Anyway, eventually just by fate, and I really think it was like a gift from God, I discovered I was living under these two massive cell towers that were pointed, <sighs> they were pointed right at my bedroom. And I'm, I'm very EMS sensitive. I'm just, I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm just cursed with that particular um, sensitivity energetically. And so I immediately moved out. And when I moved into this home, the reason I chose it is because I didn't get a cell signal here because I was so paranoid of being by cell towers. I drove up and down the street. I'm in an area called Laurel Canyon. So there's less EMF generally because I'm in a canyon. And I couldn't really see any cell towers nearby. My cell phone didn't work here. So I was like, I'll take it. Meanwhile, I have Brian Hoyer, who's a great building biologist. I'm sure you know Brian, uh, coming yeah. to do an assessment of my house. And he's like, yeah, you're right. The RF or radio frequencies aren't very bad here because you're in a canyon. But guess what? The wiring in your house is done totally off code. And you have a magnetic field in your bedroom that is off the charts and probably way worse than you know having cell service in your house. So it's like... I could have moved in this house with a cheap little Amazon RF meter and been like, cool, I'm good to go. And not know that every night I'm bathing in this really horrible magnetic field and dirty electricity from bad wiring in the house. So, you know, going back to my advice and kind of the hierarchy of steps to take, the first thing is, is have someone who is a professional come in your house and test it. You might find that things are not as bad as you thought they were. You know, a lot of people will see a smart meter on the side of their house or their neighbor's house, or there's a cell tower nearby and they think it's a 5G tower and they're freaking out, having all this anxiety and living under, you know, this cortisol and adrenaline response that's as bad for you as having EMFs in your house, probably. And um, I've had, you know, people have their homes tested and they're actually not that bad at all. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend of mine recently called me for a referral on an EMF specialist. And he was you know, so scared that his house was going to be an EMF cesspool. He has the guy come out and scan it. And I think because he's facing the ocean, he really only had one wall that was exposed to some EMF. And so he really just had to shield one wall. And he probably spent like $2,000 and his house is 
pretty much an EMF sanctuary. He's just lucky. The street he lives on is just kind of out of the path of the cell towers and he's um, doing wow. okay. So the first thing is the assessment. The next thing is you want to put your Wi-Fi router on a timer so that it goes off when you're sleeping. So at least when your body's in that parasympathetic rest and digest place that at least then you're not being hammered by those EMFs. And the Wi-Fi, of course, is one of the worst. Even better is you can just, if you can get rid of your Wi-Fi altogether and hire someone to come in and just run Ethernet all over your house, you can run your phone, you can run all your devices on Ethernet cables. A little bit of a pain and probably not worth doing if you're renting. But in this home right here, I'm, it's a lease, so I don't want to tear the whole, you know, every wall apart and install Ethernet. But I do have my computer hardwired uh, and I only keep Wi-Fi on when it's absolutely needed. Mm-hmm. So lastly, I would say when it comes to your devices, you know, these are some of the worst sources of EMF because when it comes to EMF, it's, it has to do with um, the type of EMF, but all types are worse in closer proximity. So if you have a cell tower two miles away, that's infinitely better than if there's one outside your house. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So it's all about distance and even like the distance of your Wi-Fi router. And it's also about the distance you keep your phone from you when you're using it. Like I have mine right now on my desk and I've just habituated myself to set my phone as far away from me as possible. And when I do choose to use my phone or my laptop, I use these protective devices that at least limit the amount of radiation they emit. Uh, There's two brands I like. One is called Defender Shield. They make a great phone cover or a phone case and a laptop shield. There's another company called Harapad or Harapad, H-A-R-A, Harapad. And they make a really cool laptop cover that actually goes over where your wrists set on top of it so that while you're using the keyboard, your hands aren't being fried, except your fingers, of course. <laughs> you know, so it's like, and also using your cell phone, put it in a protective case that limits the RF. And then also just always using speakerphone or air tube headphones. Yes. In other words, just being mindful about like keeping your devices as far away from you as possible. And then also, um, whenever you can, keeping them on airplane. And this is something I've also just habituated myself to. My phone is, if it's ever on my body, it's on airplane mode. If I'm waiting for some sort of notification, then I'll have it in the Defender Shield case. And having the signal part of the, the transmitter on the phone facing away from the body. Those are a couple of great tips. And then lastly, I would say uh, there's a company called Lambs. Uh, like the animal lamb, uh, their site I think is getlambs.com, and they make EMF uh, underwear, like five ah. G proof underwear. I'm, wow. I'm wearing it right now. I won't show <laughs> it on video, but um, and they're really high quality, really well made cotton, amazing, comfortable. They're not made of tin foil or anything. Uh, now, they, <laughs> now they've made T-shirts, and you know uh, they have a beanie and things like that. So. I like to wear the EMF proof clothing, especially the undergarments, because it doesn't look weird. No one knows you're wearing it. You can still kind of dress appropriately according to your own personal style and, you know, social and work activities and whatnot. But the EMF clothing, the protection, um, you know, for your devices, keeping them far away, Wi-Fi on a router, hiring someone to come in and assess your home. And then lastly, I'll say once you do have your home assessed, 
again, just start with the bedroom. That's the number one place. So at least while you're sleeping, you can truly recuperate, detox and heal your body from the stresses of just living your life. And then also, of course, your kid's room. And um, one thing I would like to add for the parents out there, and this isn't to shame you at all, but many people are unaware that um, wireless baby monitors are one of the worst offenders when it comes to EMF. And people are using them with the intention of monitoring their baby to keep their baby safe. And in fact, causing their kid a lot of harm by the radiation levels emitted by baby monitors. There are safe EMF friendly baby monitors out there. So I would highly recommend anyone with a kid that's unaware of that. Again, no shame. You didn't know. Now you know. Uh, They do exist and there are ways to keep track of your baby in the other room without (laughs) frying them uh, by basically having a router next to their head, which is what it's like. Um, And anything wireless, just for people listening to, when I had my home tested, and this is all in my EMF course, we show all of this uh, Sonos speakers, the Dyson heater, your Nest temperature controller, any smart uh, you know, again, quote, smart technology in your house, the doorbell thing that you have that, you know, wirelessly goes to your phone, all wireless stuff in your house is causing radiation. And when you get someone with a meter in there, it's shocking to see how your whole house has basically been turned into a microwave oven by these things that we just do for our convenience, you know, when yeah. it's, it's really possible to kind of go back in time and rehabituate yourself to when you actually had to get up and go turn on the heater, you know, (laughs) or whatever it is. Um, And so just think about like limiting the amount of Bluetooth enabled and Wi-Fi enabled devices. And also for me, like anytime I can turn off, like on my phone, I, there's no need to have Wi-Fi cell service and Bluetooth on, on your phone Mm -hmm. either. Just choose one. So usually when I'm at home, I just have my phone on Wi-Fi and everything else is turned off. That makes your phone much less dangerous in terms of radiation. So being mindful of all the different wireless devices we have and trying to basically, you know, eventually eliminate them as much as possible. And then the very last thing is there are some great devices that you can put in your home that don't block EMF per se, because people don't realize if you block EMF, then nothing works. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's a device called the Soma Vedic. Actually, I have one behind me right there for those watching on on my uh, social media. (laughs) And there's another technology called Blue Shield, B-L-U, no E, Blue Shield, B-L-U, Shield, uh, out of New Zealand. And these are devices that, again, don't block EMF, but they emanate a harmonic field. Um, The Blue Shield makes scalar waves. The Soma Vedic uses precious and semi-precious stones. And they emit a field that harmonizes your environment so that your biological energy system finds and attunes to that frequency rather than attuning to the frequencies of, you know, 2.4 gigahertz or whatever other radiation you might have in your house. And I find those to be really helpful. And if you add those on to like a shielded bedroom and you really try to get rid of the EMF in your house and then install those, like you're, you're winning. Well, I feel like we've come full circle because we were talking about vibrations and mindfulness at the beginning. And we kind of come back around to that too when we've been talking about EMS, which is cool to me because we are spiritual beings, but we're also physical beings. And so we need to be very aware of our surroundings and what's happening on the inside as well. So I want to ask you two more questions as we start to wrap up, Luke. First, just tell us one of your morning hacks because you said that takes like three hours, (laughs) but tell us one that really 
maybe helps you vibrate properly during the day. Yeah, I, I wish it didn't take me. <laughs> it's not always yeah. free. I mean, sometimes, honestly, I get it done in an hour. But that's one of the advantages and disadvantages of working from home and working for yourself is like you have the luxury to do that. But then you also have to pay the price when you don't get your work uh, done, and meet <laughs> your deadlines and deliverables, which happens. I can relate. I can relate so, so much. Go on. <laughs> You know, I'll always do some type of meditation. For many years, I did Vedic meditation, which is just on the natch, no accoutrement, no props, just you, your breath, stillness, repeating a mantra silently and effortlessly in your head. And I still use that meditation at times. But I think because of the people that I meet having my podcast and things that I discover along the way, I've found some other ways to enhance that meditation. So oftentimes I'll use a technology called NuCalm. That's N-U-Calm. And this is um, a neuroacoustic technology, um, similar but much more effective than something like binaural beats. So it's a brainwave entrainment technology that you listen to. I'll use that. And also there's a great device that I like called the uh, Apollo Neuro, which is a little bracelet that vibrates physically vibrates different frequencies that um, do different things to your nervous system created by a neuroscientist named Dr. David Rabin, who's uh, been a guest on my podcast. And I guess he's, he's a psychiatrist. He's actually, I guess you could say he's my shrink also. <laughs> After our podcast, I was like, I, I think I need your help from time to time. Uh, the Apollo is really cool because it is there's, I don't know, a bunch of patents on it and a lot of clinical research into it. When you put it on, you're just like, what's this thing going to do? But it really does relax you or energize you depending on the setting. So I'll kind of stack some of those different modalities and just go into a really deep, relaxed, parasympathetic meditation of some sorts. Some days I'll do that in uh, my hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which is what I did this morning. I woke up just feeling a little bit brain fog and just not completely sharp. And I knew we had this interview. So I did that routine in there. Um, I also mm -hmm. love Joe Dispenza guided meditations. I'm a huge fan of his work and doing more intentional heart brain coherence meditations where you're, you're not just kind of like going into the void aimlessly and just hanging out there, but going into the void or into the quantum realm and using your intention and your will to actually manifest different states of feeling and thinking that you want to um, continue throughout your day. And then um, another part of the morning routine too is, uh, you know, aside from just whatever meditation practice I happen to choose that day, is uh, I'll almost, why well, not almost, I guess every single day I'm home, I'll also do uh, red light therapy. I have a device called a Juve and I do the Juve. You stand naked in front of the red light, uh, which is essentially... And most of the things I do are kind of harnessing things that exist in nature and just amplifying them. So red light, of course, is present at dusk and dawn. It's difficult for many of us to get up at dusk and dawn and get enough of that exposure. So the red light is like a concentration and an amplification of that. And I'll do that while I'm standing on my vibration plate to move the lymphatic and just move the energy in the body. And then um, I'll inhale my molecular hydrogen gas while I'm standing there, uh, usually after the oxygen, the oxygen is kind of, uh, it's well, it oxidizes you and the hydrogen is an antioxidant. So it's kind of reversing uh, the negative impact because there is a bit of negative impact um, from hyperbaric. And so I'm undoing that, doing the red light, vibrating, uh, do some yoga and some push-ups on the vibe plate in front of the red light. And then I'll take my ice bath 
I did a, if someone wants to see how to make an ice bath, Ben Greenfield, uh, I gave him my plans for my homemade ice bath. If you search Luke Story ice bath, you'll see Ben's post on it. It's in his book to uh, Boundless. But I basically took a chest freezer from Sears and had it fashioned into an ice bath. And so I keep that at around 36 to 40 degrees and uh, I'll get in there for five or 10 minutes. And that's kind of the, the last thing of the morning routine. And then out of the ice bath, I'll, I'll work out. I'll do some resistance training and just kind of like use my muscles, throw some kettlebells around. And then like once that's done, I'm ready to work. So you can see like it's easy for that. It could all be done in 20 minutes, really, because you just stack a bunch of stuff at once. That's what I like yeah. to do rather than if each modality is a 20 minute treatment or whatever. I'll just stack as many as I can within that one session or sit in front of the biocharger, which is a PEMF and a, a noble gas uh, uh, photonic energy device, which is pretty crazy. But all of that, you know, can be done within like 30 to 60 minutes or so. Sometimes I'm just kind of, I take my time with it and really like waste time. But um, doing that as a morning routine, like is pretty intense. And by the time I sit down at my desk, I'm ready to rock and roll. But for people that don't want to spend money on a bunch of devices like that or that can't um, do it for whatever reason, I think just waking up, watching the sunrise, doing some breath work and meditating and at least taking a cold shower, you can encapsulate almost all the stuff I just described. And it all has to do with just going back to our evolutionary way of waking up. We would have been cold. We would have seen the sunrise. Maybe depending on where we were from on the planet, we would have done some some type of breath exercise or breath work or some movement, whether it be yoga or something else. Um, so I always like to tell people, you know, it comes to all the biohacking technology and all that stuff that it doesn't take money to be healthy or happy. It helps and it's fun to play with all these toys, but it's really just about using your breath, using your intention, getting in your heart, communicating with your higher power, having time to do a little spiritual reading, like getting in touch with your higher self, who you really are, um, setting your mind right. And all of that, I think, is more powerful than any kind of device or machine or technology. I just happen to be a geek and I just like experimenting with all this stuff. But I, I think it's a lot of it's just props and it's fun stuff to play with. And some of it's very powerful and effective. I mean, red light therapy is very efficacious for a lot of different things. It's scientifically valid and proven. Can you have a healthy, happy life and not use red light therapy? Absolutely. <laughs> Watch the sunrise, do yeah. some breath work, pray to whoever you pray to, get your mind right. And you know, you, you're going to have a great life doing it that way too. Totally. You're kind of reading my mind because I was going to say, wow, that's a lot of stuff. You know, we don't need all that stuff necessarily to connect to nature, to kind of restore our breath, get connected with ourselves and all this. Um, and it just reminds me too of a podcast we did with Ben Greenfield called Mimicking Ancestral Healthways or something. And he was like, yeah, you can sit in the ice bath or you can go jump in a creek, you know? And he was giving all the examples of how we can do it more naturally. So it's so true. Now I just want to ask you the question I often pose at the end. If the listener could only do one thing, Luke, if the listener could only do one thing to improve their health, what would you recommend that they do? Build a relationship with your creator, with the God of your understanding. I, I truly believe that this is the entire purpose of every human life is we have this opportunity to experience separation from source and we're embodied. Our mother gives birth to us and we immediately experience duality. We experience separation. We experience existential aloneness. And the name of the game 
is all about exercising and celebrating our free will as an autonomous single entity, while at the same time, over time, dissolving the delusion that there is separateness. And this is the cosmic joke of the universe is thinking that that there really is such thing as free will, because on one level, there's not, you know, on one level, it's that there is a universal, benevolent, loving, ultimately intelligent, omniscient force at play in the universe of which we are a part. And we're given this illusion of separateness so that we can evolve as a soul. But the evolution of that soul ultimately arrives us back at the same destination, which is a connection to God. And so I think for all emotional health, mental health, and even physical healing, fundamentally, the most powerful thing each of us can do is to seek a spiritual way of life according to our own understanding and preferences. And I don't think that there's a right way to do it, uh, a right deity to believe in or belief system or religion or practice. The right way is your way. And it's the way that makes sense to you. And it's a way that you can um, be diligent and stay committed to elevating your consciousness and taking responsibility for your own life and developing not a belief in a higher power, but a faith in a higher power. You know, belief is when you think something's going to happen for you. (laughs) A faith is when you know something is going to happen for you. And um, there has never been in recorded history any side effects of having too much faith. You know, the (laughs) more faith we have, the more we celebrate the joys in life, And the more faith we have, the more we're able to withstand life's many challenges. And that's what life is really about, is facing challenges and changing the way that we look at them. And for me, the way that I change the way I look at life's challenges is by knowing that there is a plan and having faith that that plan is vastly and infinitely more intelligent than any plan I have come up with myself. Well, this is so reassuring to hear right now at a time when we're all facing a number of challenges. So thank you so much for the time that you gave us and all this food for thought. Appreciate it, Luke. Thank you. 